Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. What's good, Alaska? This is Scott Levesque, and you're listening to the midweek edition of the Must Read Alaska podcast. Let me be the first to welcome you. It's been a while again. I'm sorry. I'm inconsistent. We're going to dial that in, I promise. But I'm glad to be back. And before we get started on all the shenanigans, hoopla, and craziness going on in our state, let's just take a minute. And if you could do me one favor, you know I asked this. Could you give us a five-star review? Listen, we're sitting at 78 right now. We only need 22 more reviews to be able to hit 100. That's our goal right now. If you could do that, that'd be phenomenal. If you haven't had a chance and you're a longtime listener, please do so. We're coming up on our, our year of doing this podcast. It's been really great. It's been a lot of fun. But if you could just give us a five-star review, that would be phenomenal. It does help when people are searching for content related to politics and even more specifically, Alaska politics. So giving us a five-star review helps people find us easier. If you want to take an additional minute and give us a written review, we'd love that as well. The reviews have been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, We really love hearing from our listeners. And again, it's just really great to have this type of support. Lastly, we are actually opening up advertising now. So if you know somebody that wants to get their product, service, company out there, we have a phenomenal download rate, we have a phenomenal listen rate, and we would love to partner with businesses here in Alaska. So why don't you go ahead and give John Quick a very quick email detailing out how you would like to advertise with us, and we would love to partner with you. To reach John, just go to John J O H N at mustreadalaska.com, and he will get that process started. Okay, now that we finished that up, I want to dive into so many things going on in Alaska. Number one, I think we have a new competitor now. Governor Dunleavy has launched his own podcast, and the first episode, clearly, because it does not seem to go away, is COVID-related. But yes, Governor Dunleavy has launched a podcast. He is a friend to the podcast here at Must Read Alaska. So I'm not going to say it's direct competition, but you're hearing a lot from the governor himself now with this new podcast. And we have an article on this on Must Read Alaska. It's under the heading, Dunleavy Launches Podcast Warns of Hospitals Being Overworked by COVID's Virulent Variant Plus the Usual Patients. That's a tongue twister. The double Vs always get me. But here we go. So now the Delta variant has hit Alaska. Seems like there has been a lot of traffic in the hospital. And let's, let's, let's parse this out. Okay, here's the deal. When it comes to hospital, hospitals being overworked, overwhelmed by this uh, particular virus here, this COVID-19, we've got to look at all the data. And this is what I'm really concerned about is we make speculations on just overarching raw data right? That's what we're doing. And I want to know a couple things. Number one is this. There's been numbers thrown out all across the board. At one point in Massachusetts, for example, 74% of the cases in the hospital in Massachusetts were from fully vaccinated individuals. 
that and now that's not just some left wing right wing blog that is from uh, CNBC. So th- it's not a it's it's not a friendly right wing blog and it's not a left wing blog. It is from a mainstream media source outlet that said 74 percent of all new cases in Massachusetts of COVID-19 particularly, and I don't know how they're testing for the variant, so I can't go into that, but at least 74% of all cases in the hospital in Massachusetts were from fully vaccinated individuals. And now here's the deal. Now we're hearing that close to 90 plus percent of all cases in Alaska are from, and here's the word, not fully vaccinated individuals. So the question I have is really this, not fully vaccinated means what? What does that mean? So how many people have just one shot and are waiting for the second one? How many people have no shots? They're, they're, they, are vacc- they have not taken the vaccination at all. How many people have got both shots but are now required to get boosters? Like where is the qualifying factor in what fully vaccinated means? I'm assuming at this point, giving the benefit of the doubt, that we're talking about people who have had two vaccine protocol shots. So the Madera one and the Pfizer one initially required, uh, it was a two shot protocol. You take your first shot and then I do not remember the time frame. Uh, I don't know if it was two weeks or four weeks, you went back and got a second shot. Now, as we know, uh, Pfizer has come out and said, you know what, we're probably going to need to administer booster shots because what they're finding is the vaccine is actually waning in its effectiveness over time. That's what we're being told right now. So booster shots for the vaccination of COVID-19 are going to be necessary to continue to have the full uh, or maximize strength of the vaccine itself. But what we're hearing is this language of not fully vaccinated, which to me is I, I want to know the root numbers. You know me. We went over the last podcast. We dove real deep into the analysis of questions that were asked regarding vaccine mandates and and particularly on airports, airplanes, on interstate travel, on um, schooling, all of that. And when you broke down the data, it became very clear that when you look deeper into the conversation, into the questions and into the, the real data points, it's not as black and white as a headline would make it sound. And I think that's the problem we're facing right now. Now, am I saying that the variant, the Delta variant is not an issue? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm also saying that when we talk about being overwhelmed in the hospital system, we're also talking about other mitigating factors other than just COVID-19 patients. We're talking about short-staffed, staff that have to quarantine, staff that haven't been fully vaccinated yet themselves. Also, we're talking about how many people in the nursing industry and the healthcare industry in Alaska right now are having to make a vital choice between keeping their employment or leaving their job because of the vaccine mandate for hospitals right now. You're seeing protests out in both South Central Foundation, AMC, uh, and ANTHC. You're also seeing protests that are developing in other areas as well. I don't know if Providence has had one yet, but you are seeing uh, people pushing back on being forced to be vaccinated within the healthcare system right now. And they're being told if you don't get vaccinated by a certain point, I think September, maybe 11th, at South Central Foundation, that you're going to lose your job. So now people are just deciding, you know what, I guess I'm not going to go back to work. So now you're going to, you're compounding the issue. You have 
new cases or reoccurring cases of COVID with the new variant that are now taking up hospital beds or time. But now you're having this shortage, which is already there in Alaska as it is. Let's just be honest. If you've been here in Alaska long enough, you do realize that there is a medical field shortage, particularly in nurses and other specific areas, just generally speaking. That's why, full disclosure, I have uh, somebody who's close to me that works in the medical field, worked in the medical field, and there are ridiculous bonus and offers by Providence themselves to get people up here and to stay up here, two-year contract. So the medical field is actually a real issue with keeping people and it's generally on a two-year rotation for nurses, surgical techs, um, medical technologists. So we already have an issue with keeping employment in the medical field sustained. And it's usually at a deficit. Now you add to the fact that a lot of hospitals are requiring that professionals have the vaccine to work. And you're putting the pressure on nurses and medical professionals to either choose. Because if they don't get the vaccine, they're going to be fired. So there's a lot of compounding issues, and the governor is pretty much saying here, and I'm going to quote from the article, listen, we need to be very careful because it's not just a component of the vaccine, excuse me, the variant that's causing the issue. It's also the mitigating factors of what we're doing in terms of policy. So he cites, if you get hurt or you get sick or would normally go to the hospital expecting a certain level of care, you might not get it, said Dunleavy. Hospital workers are getting burnt out. There you go. And some are quitting the fields. What did I just say? I just said that the mitigating factors that we're not taking into consideration when we're talking about this or when the mainstream media is actually printing or, or putting this out in the news on television is the fact that there is a large factor of people getting burnt out or quitting in the medical field that is causing, causing this medical system to be taxed. He goes on and says, waiting times can be as long and times people may find they are simply turned away because the wait times are so long. He continues and says, with the Delta variant that has been ripping across the world and has found its way to Alaska, more people with the variant variant are ending up in the hospital, and that is adding to the usual things that send people, such as broken bones, injuries from activities like four-wheeling. So the governor's warning here, listen, we're going to start to see longer wait times. We're going to start to see people being turned away. You're going to start to see an increase in capacity and by, by extension, a stress on the system because of more than just the COVID variant, because you're adding that on top of the fact that we're ending the summer. So people are getting out there and playing. You're heading into the winter. Alaska is known for outdoor sports four-wheeling, soon-to-be snow machining, and, and other things. Just just the typical year services that are, are, that are given here in Alaska. You add on top of that a highly contagious, contagious variant, and add on top of that the fact that the system itself, the policies that are put in place, are either burning people out, burning medical professionals out, or they're quitting. And again, like I told you, I have friends and family that work in the Alaska health system, both at Providence, at the Native Hospital, and at Regional. And I can tell you, there has never been a time where either, all three of those large hospitals in Anchorage have said, you know what, we have enough people. Never said that. 
They're always hurting for people. So now you add the incentive to leave or the burnout factor, and you're going to have a massive stress, particularly here in Anchorage, on the healthcare system. You're just going to. So that'll be a story that we're going to continue to watch on. Uh, turning to the assembly here in Anchorage, it looks like the recall Zalatel initiative has been validated and all signatures have been validated by the municipal clerk to move forward with a special election to possibly remove Meg Zalatel from the assembly. Okay, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this. It's Suzanne wrote this on Must Read Alaska under the headlines, Recalls Zalatel Signatures Valid, and this means Assembly must set a special election. Now, when that election comes is going to determine a lot of things, okay? So let's just kind of read from the article here. Clerk Barbara Jones said that at least 200, I'm sorry, 2,468 signatures of voters living in District 4, Midtown, were valid. And the petition will be submitted to the next regular or special assembly meeting, which is required to approve a recall election within 75 days. Now, here's the kicker. We all know that Zelotel has sort of pushed this for a year. She's punted this, this recall effort for a year using legal efforts. It went, now, this, this effort, the Reclaim Midtown crew and, and Russell Biggs took this all the way to the Alaska Supreme Court before it was finally said in a very quick decision, no, this is this recall effort is valid and it should go forward. We could talk about the ramifications of that long term at another time. What I do want to focus on the fact of what's going to happen, the nuts and bolts. So Zelto can also have an opportunity to push this even further, to punt further than just a year, even though it seems ludicrous at this point. Reading forward, Zalto can add more delay to the process, which has been delayed for a year already through prior legal challenges. She can appeal the clerk's decision on the signatures within 30 days, which would push the election into late fall. Now, again, do not think for a minute this is not going to be in play. Do not think that she is going to, right now, she's going to take every effort to continue to extend this out, to continue to push it out, push it out, push it out. And the reality is, is this. There's no other recourse for her anymore. The Berkowitz administration is no longer in there. The acting mayor, Austin Quinn Davidson, assumably a friend, is not in there anymore. The Bronson administration is in there now. And what do you have? Well, you have no political clout outside of the assembly. Nobody is going to help you. So what, what would anybody do? Well, they're going to take the sweet time before this gets to a special election. So you guarantee that she's going to take all 30 days on the 30th day, file for a petition, push it out, and then it takes, like I said before, the recall election has to be within 75 days of the approval. So they're going to continue to punt this action item out as far as they can. Now, the question I have is this. Is the recall effort for Meg Zelotel going to be more effective for the people that are pushing for the recall than it was for Felix Rivera? It was, to me, it was a bit of an embarrassment to see how that went down. You had all this momentum moving forward for the recall effort. You got all the signatures you needed. 
And at the end of the day, that recall effort failed. Now, there were a lot of interesting things that happened. The fact that Felix got to write a ridiculous amount of words on the ballot to justify why he should be retained. The fact that when you were at the Midtown Mall, the sample ballot did not have that question on it. I mean, do we remember all these things? The fact that at the end of the day, there were third-party political packs that were uh, pushing major, major marketing efforts and advertising efforts to ensure that Felix stayed. Uh, let's not forget everything that Felix threw out there in terms of racist, homophobia, um, you know, anything that could be used as a way to say that the effort was not based on the fact that Rivera was not representing his constituents, but was all based on the fact of who he was personally, which, again, is a left-wing political tactic. All that was a part of the fact that that recall effort did not happen. However, I am hoping that if this recall effort wants to see any sort of fruition, that they learned from the mistakes of the Felix Rivera one. And Russell Biggs has been open and honest. He's been on the podcast numerous times. He's talked a lot about the, uh, the recall efforts for Rivera. And I think, and I'm hoping, that that is also the case for the Zelotel recall effort. Because, listen, if, if people do not feel like their representative is representing them, they should have every means to remove them and put somebody in there that is going to represent them. Absolutely. Partic this is more so when it comes to the micro level of government than it does on the macro. Meaning, on the national level, it's ridiculously hard to do that. I mean, we've seen... I mean, just think of the, the Trump efforts to try to get him impeached. But on the micro level, on the, on the state and local level of government, where your day-to-day -day life is really impacted by decisions made? Absolutely. Let me read you this here. Russell Biggs, who has been the prime mover behind the recall attempt of Zalatel, said he had hired somebody to independently verify the signatures on the petition, so he is confident that they will hold up against the legal maneuver by Zalatel. So there's already an assumption that this is going to be the political move here. And, and again, why would it not be? If, if you're facing recall, you're going to try to push that back for efforts for fundraising outside. It, it, it is a, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, it's a wise political move. But nonetheless, all that doesn't matter if lessons weren't learned from the Rivera recall failure there. All right, one more thing to move on before we get into what happened on Tuesday night and specifically one epic event by the Bronson administration. Sarah Rasmussen has been the topic of a lot of conversation. Um, I don't know what to make of Rep. Rasmussen. I don't. I honestly don't. This is my personal opinion. I don't know. But there are a lot of interesting things that have happened as of late. I'm going to go ahead and read this article because I think it sets the tone for what I'm having a hard time dealing with. Okay? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do something a little different. I'm actually going to read... I'm going to read a comment from the article by an individual. I'm not going to name the person. You can go to the article. It's on Must Read Alaska. It's under the title, Rep Rasmussen Dials It In. 
due to co- close contact with dot 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 COVID question mark. So I'm going to read the article. I'm going to set the framework, and then I'm going to I'm going to read this comment based on the article. And I think it's an interesting comment, and I want I really want sh- you guys when you hear this to either comment on YouTube or Facebook or, or you know wherever this is going to be posted that you're going to look at it. And I want to know your comments on this because I think it's an interesting point that was made by the by the commenter on the article. So let's read what Suzanne wrote. Rep Sarah Rasmussen was a little vague. She didn't say what she had close contact with, but the inference is that it's with somebody who had COVID-19 virus. So she is staying away from Juno. Rasmussen announced her decision on Facebook to her Sand Lake constituents to be transparent about why she is not at Juno with the rest of her colleagues. Quote, until contact tracing and follow-up testing is completed, I'm following quarantine guidance from public health, she wrote. She continues, I hope to be able to get to Juno to finish the work of this session ASAP. However, with our hospitals at capacity, I feel it's best not to risk potential spreading anything, sorry, spreading anything to other Alaskans, she wrote. Suzanne then writes, Rasmussen was in Juneau for just one day so far in the special session that started on August 16th. She was fishing on the Kenai River and attended events telling critics that going to Juneau was a, quote, waste of time. Rasmussen is not in either the conservative or liberal caucus in the House and has taken up the new position of former Rep. Gabrielle Ledoux, who turned on conservatives and then on liberals, becoming a caucus of one before she was unelected in 2020. So right now we have Sarah staying at home because she, again, we're assuming had contact with somebody who had COVID-19. The problem, if you remember... Back in uh, fall of last year, Sarah was facing criticism from her opponents when she was running for re-election about this very thing, about the fact that she was absent in Juneau quite a bit. Now, in that response, she had said that she went out to uh, her grandfather's funeral or great-grandfather's funeral. I can't remember which one, but she was attending a funeral, and because of the COVID procedures and policies in place in Juneau, she was not allowed to go back in for an extended period of time. The problem was, is now it's becoming something habitual. It's becoming a pattern, not just a one-off. And it also doesn't look good that she has been sort of linked to many who are outside of what she had run on, which was the Republican Party. Of course, the infamous legged race party you know um, that video was buried deep within the archives uh, that showed her possibly playing beer pong possibly doing you know three-legged races possibly doing basketball shooting possibly doing pizza with not just with representatives but people from the public that were coming in that were not supposed to the question is this And this was brought up by a commenter on the article, and I think it's a really good thing for us to to ask ourselves, okay? As the conservative Republican Party here in Alaska needs to ask themselves, really. And here's what the comment said. Wonder why Alaska Republican Party has yet to censor this representative, and that's Sarah Rasmussen. If you recall, 
There has been a couple of reps that have been censored based on the fact that how they campaigned and what they were campaigning on turns out to be something completely different when they get to Juno. Kelly Merrick fits in that category, and she'll mention that here. I can, and we're going back to the commenter, I can just assume they don't want to censor somebody so young who identifies as a Republican, since the Republican Party wants new young leaders, while reps like Kelly Merrick are already old, gray, and her district pretty much have generally uh, consensus to vote her out. Although I don't like inconsistency on unstable leaders, they are more damaging than a corrupt leader. So here's the question really in there, is why haven't the Republican Party, why haven't they censored Rasmussen based on the fact that she actually left the caucus? Why? I'm curious. Now, that has to be, it starts out with the district level and then it can get to the, the state party level. But the insinuation here by this commenter, and, and I get it, is that we're choosing who we're going to censor based on a couple things. One is the Republican Party in Alaska may need younger leadership to step up and to be a part of that. And so there's a little bit more grace and a little bit more, quote, understanding and or tolerance for the inability to play well with your team. Then again, then again, we're seeing a lot of inconsistency and frustration from the Republican Party with the fact that Sarah has not been at this special session, which is an important part, which helps is, is supposed to help with the PFD, which is supposed to help with budgeting, which is a big deal now because we have a $550 PFD that was just vetoed by the governor, and he's now trying to make it about $2,350, which is a big step up, which is closer to what we should the Alaskan people should be getting based on the formula for the PFD. That's a, whether we like to admit it or not, politically speaking, the PFD is a massive deal. It just is in Alaska. It just is. And keep in mind, the PFD, and I know this because I lived in Alaska back in 2009 all the way through uh, most of 2013, we never had this issue then. That was never an issue. It wasn't until the Walker administration came in. By the way, the same Bill Walker that is now going to be running for governor again, if you haven't heard, came in and decided to fudge and mess around with the PFD, including the formula. So now we have this issue where the PFD is never just straightforward anymore. It's a political tool used to get what Republicans want to get what Democrats want, as opposed to just leaving it as the formula and being straightforward. Now we've got a balanced budget with PFDs because our spending has been out of control and because we're unwilling to look at spending and unfortunately cut things that we just can't afford. Not to mention, which is ironic, a lot of the democratically held areas in Anchorage specifically rely heavily on that PFD to be able to pay bills, rents, and whatnot, which I always find ironic that those left-leaning held areas rely heavily on the PFD for many things and yet continually vote 
individuals in who work against their interest. It's amazing to me. So I just thought that was a very interesting article, but more importantly, I thought the comment was really interesting. There's an idea out there, at least by some, that we're the Republican Party is making allowances for certain individuals based on the fact that they want younger leadership in there over those who clearly have been in violation of what they say they're running on versus what they're doing without clearly articulating why and then get censored. Just some food for thought. Okay, lastly here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sum this up because I'm going way over. But let's talk about Tuesday night. Let, <laughs> Tuesday night was a great example of a couple things. Great example of when Republicans think ahead. A great example of when the left gets taken for a fool and how they respond. Now, we can go through the last four years before Bronson got in there and saw all the wheel dealing, all the backroom deals, all the as Felix Rivera would, would, would say in his tweet, showboating that was going on by the left-leaning assembly and those who were in power, which were on the left. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me when you see just how much of, well, quote, showboating, and I'm using that because Felix decided to share a tweet immediately following what happened on Tuesday, and we'll get to that, that said, you could say a lot of things about my time on the assembly. I'm paraphrasing here. A lot of things about me and my time on the assembly, but I have never been a showboat, which has been, that is probably the most unself-aware statement I've ever heard in my life, Felix. You, you, there is no self-awareness in that statement whatsoever. Regardless, it was funny to me, and I just thought, we have so much archive video of you showboating that we should make a video on it, including your tweet just to show how ridiculous it has been. And that was the response from the left side of the political sphere based on what happened on Tuesday. So what happened Tuesday? Well, there has been much to do about Sammy Graham and the appointment as the director of the library, or the library director, however you want to say it. Now, Sammy does not have a master's degree in library studies, but... As the Bronson administration has put forth in working sessions, which I've watched, and on Tuesday night, the previous administration, which was held over from the Berkowitz administration, put concessions into job descriptions that allow for a broader, wider view of what the library director would be. In other words, you don't have to have a library degree to be a library director. There are supplemental experiences that would fulfill the requirements for that job. Sammy Graham had those. Sammy Graham had them. In working sessions, that was brought up on numerous times. Private discussions, I guarantee you they were brought up on those. But at the end of the day, it was the fact that Bronson put this person up. He is a conservative they are a left-leaning majority on the assembly. And this was going to be a battle. This was going to be a battle. So what happened that night? Well, they took a vote. And it was 7-4 to four against Sammy Graham being the library director. Well, here's the deal. The thing I love about the Bronson administration right now is they're not stupid. And they've got this sort of, hey, you want to play checkers? We're going to play chess type of deal right now. 
And it was on display Tuesday night. Because what ended up happening is, number one, an interesting side note right now. I'm going to detract you for a minute. In that 7-4 to four vote, guess who voted for Sammy Graham? Our good friend to the podcast, Christopher Constant. Now, if you know anything about Christopher Constant, he is not shy about sharing his personal opinions on many people and is a gift that keeps on giving when it comes to social media. Thank you for that, Mr. Constant. But in a working session, Christopher Constant, and it's, it's honor of Rusty Alaska, decided during the administration's explanation as to why Sammy Graham should be elected to the library director position, he was playing on his phone. He was talking to, I believe, Austin Quids Davidson, which was to his left the entire time, not listening, not paying attention, giggling and laughing, and then has the audacity after the speech is done, because it was 20 minutes, and you need to lay out why all these things were happening. And that's why you're there is to listen. Decided to start the conversation when his time was to speak by saying he was browbeat. And he was browbeat because he was presented with facts and not feelings. And like the good Ben Shapiro, we understand facts do not care about your feelings. And so if you don't like the fact that the Bronson administration clearly laid out a plan as to why Sammy Graham should be the library director based on previous experience, that met the qualifications, including the previous administration's um, effort to broaden those qualifications, ah, that's your problem, man. But to sit there and act like a victim, which is a specialty of Mr. Constant, is absurd at best. So not only do you not pay attention, not only are you on your phone, maybe tweeting, because that's what you seem to do, laughing and giggling it up with Miss Austin Quinn Davidson, you then, the first thing that comes out of your mouth is, I feel like I've been browbeat. No, what you failed to do is you had to sit there and listen. You didn't like that. You didn't like the fact that the Bronson administration made good, valid, and clear points. And then after saying you got browbeat, you said, I'm probably going to change my vote to no, even after the great conversation I had to Miss Sammy Graham. Now, let me just tell you, him voting yes, he didn't want to vote yes or no. This was a political move on his part. I just want to be everybody aware. I can't stand cheap crap like that, and that was cheap crap. He knew the votes were there that were not going to allow her to be in that position. So he voted yes, and it was a political move. And I'm just telling you, I'm not going to let that go because I think it's garbage. I think it's garbage. It's a garbage move. Vote how you would have voted, not to gain political points, because I'm telling you what, I know you would have voted no. The people that voted yes were going to vote yes. You voted no. Get over it. Don't try to do political points, because I'm not going to forget it, bro. So what happens? They vote no. Seven to four. No, no. We knew this was going to happen. So what happens after that? Well, the current mayor, Dave Bronson, decides to chime in and say, could I have a personal, I forgot how he worded it, privilege to speak. Of course, Suzanne LaFrance, who, man, she's got that, like, she would actually be a good library director. The, the look she gave to the crowd when they were clapping was like, library, like, shh, do not talk in the library. That was... She, she may actually have a career as a director of a library. 
But he said, can I have a point of order? And LaFrance gives it to him, and he says, I just want to introduce my new chief of staff, Sammy Graham, which was, first of all, hilarious. The, the look the look on everybody's face in there was like, wait, what? What did he just say? Now, keep in mind, the re- he can appoint anybody he wants as a chief of staff. So, welcome to the chess match, my friend. So, not only does Dave say that, but then he goes, hey, could I have another point of order? And this is after, when he does that, the crowd erupts because they love it. They just, they, everybody realized the assembly just got played, right? So, the crowd's cheering and, and laughing and hollering, and Suzanne LaFrance decides to put on her librarian cap. Sorry for you librarians out there. I'm sure you're not like this, but let's just characterize this. It's a slammer gavel down. We will not, the crowd needs to be silent. We will not hoop and holler and clap. All right. So then Christopher Constant, always the opportunist, comes in and says, I just want to be the first to welcome Sammy Graham to the mayor's office. And then, you know, mother lets the the children clap. So Ms. LaFrance says, okay, you guys can clap now. And they all stand and whatnot. So this is all playing out. I've got to assume how the Bronson administration wanted it. I have not talked to them about this, so I don't know. But then what ends up happening? Mayor Bronson asked for another personal privilege opportunity to speak. And this is where it gets fun. He says, just so everybody's aware, her office will be in the library. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That, that, the look on Suzanne LaFrance's face when he said that was priceless. I don't know if we can get a screen grab of that. If, hey, if you're a must-read Alaska listener, reader out there, and you're hearing this, you got to get that screen grab. I, I think, listen, the Municipality YouTube channel live – doesn't have great resolution, but I think the eye roll on that must have been epic. Must have been epic. Must have been. Because, man, what what a deal. What a deal. So the Bronson administration is going to give her two offices, one in the library and one downtown. And you know what? Well-deserved. Well-deserved, Bronson administration, because this crap has been happening continuously for eight-plus years. And you know what? The left-leaning assembly handled it as well as I thought they would. It really was. The cesspool known as Twitter went off. How dare they? Blah, 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 blah. Everybody talking about showboating and this is just, what, what are we doing here? You know, this is not a game. Really? You don't think over the last eight years people haven't been playing games? Have some self-awareness. Guess what? This is what happens when you open the door for this kind of stuff. And there's nothing wrong with what Bronson did. He was making a point and point made. Point made. Also point Bronson. So if you want to put all this weak crap, he's got some smart people with him. Craig Campbell is transitioning out to a director position, a program and policy, I believe. Listen, Bronson has got some real smart people on his team. So... My, my outlook on this is that they've already planning ahead. They know what's going to happen, and they know what to do to make sure that the people they need in the positions that are appointing get there. 
This put the assembly on note. Listen, your games, they're not going to work with us. You can do what you want, but we're going to figure this out. Because you're not doing this out of a good-spirited, hey, we want to make sure this position is filled. You're doing this for political hit points. So go ahead. I can tell you they've got some smart, smart people working with the Bronson administration that are going to run circles around that assembly if they continue to act like this. And Tuesday night was just an example. It was just an example. As a matter of fact, uh, our fearless leader, Suzanne, put out a an article, and I'm going to read this. Balls of steel. Mayor Bronson has denied his library director, but shocks assembly when he makes Sammy Graham his new chief of staff. Now, that article went out, and I got to say, I think we have some listeners that were in the room that night because there was an individual who came up and used a similar, well, let's just say balls of steel in her remark that she eventually mic dropped on the assembly. Listen, when the assembly wants to play games, they consider that just part of politics. But when a conservative Republican mayor decides to do it, now it's out of bounds. Now it's ridiculous. Now it's all that. Listen, guys, get some self-awareness because this is going to happen to you a lot more if you continue acting like children. If you continue to try to play political hit points and you're trying to actively push against this mayor, I'm telling you, how many seats are up for re-election here next year in 2022? You can guarantee there are going to be a lot of people campaigning to make that assembly more representative of those who are representing their constituents. Mark my words, that's going to happen. That is going to happen. Well, guys, that's it. I, uh, I would love to talk more about Tuesday night, but I am way over time, and I am going to stop. Listen, if you have not liked our Facebook page, followed us on YouTube, on Rumble, on MeWe, on Parlor, I mean all of them, you've got to do that. They're all under the same handle, Must Read Alaska, one word. Also, you can find all our great content on Must Read Alaska, including our podcast. Hey, if you're not subscribed to us on YouTube, or I'm sorry, on um, Apple Podcasts or on Google Podcasts or on Spotify, um, do so. We are all there on most every platform, and we would love for you to be a part of this journey with us. Thank you again. If you want to support us, you can go to mustreadalaska.com, and at the top right, you'll see a support Must Read Alaska. Every little bit helps because we are trying to continue to provide content and resource for you. We thank you to our listeners, our readers, and our supporters. Without you guys, we obviously would not be here, and uh, I think we are a vital, vital content-creating Uh, source here, news providing source, so that you get a full 360 view of what's going on. So until next week, take care.